When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. John, say the thing you just said about how busy a parent is. I, that was a brilliant comment. Well, so often uh, I do hear this response that, um, you know, I just don't have time to meditate. And I just don't have time to learn how to be more mindful. And so that often will translate into I'm way too busy creating stress, worry, fear, and anxiety in my life to make time to eliminate it. <laughs> we, I... I say on the, at the end of every podcast, take care of yourself first. Yeah. When I teach parents, uh, you know, at our parent weekend or when I'm talking at schools, I make a point to bring up, you know, self-care is the single most important. A, because you can't do anything if you're not taking care of yourself, right? Your own oxygen mask first. And B, um, we model it for our children. We model self-care for our children. Absolutely. Now, however, what, what we start to lose is the reality of what self-care can look like. Because when I say, what does taking care of yourself look like? I get, well, I used to swim every morning. I used to, I used to jog. I used to hike, I yoga, I, I, I art, and I used to play guitar. You know, and they're thinking back to maybe even before they had kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to talk about this self-care through mindfulness. Because mindfulness is a key component of therapeutic process. It's a key component of inner quietude and relaxation. And you don't know that you need to take care of yourself if you're not mindful of what's going on in your own body. So as we get into this stuff, before we do, uh, John, please talk about yourself, how you ended up here at the conference. You spoke yesterday, is that correct? Uh, we did a little event yesterday. You did an but event. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, so please talk about your path to this point. Yeah, so we'll do it in the hopefully Reader's Digest version. So my journey here uh, began with uh, the opportunity to have a lot of different adventures in life. So raised in LA and single mom raising nine kids and um, (laughs) most of us brothers were all addicts and um, my mom was um, doing her best to raise us, be a loving mom. I I just wanna go back, nine kids? Nine kids. My dad died when I was very young and so she Raised us all, drug us to church, and in spite of that, um, drugs, violence, uh, sure. um, drive-bys to our house. Wow. And so the different skills I grew up with were, you know, coping mechanisms and not very healthy for long-term Where did recovery. you grow up so in I grew LA? up in uh, Pasadena was where I was born. And so I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Pasadena. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. I used to live right off of Colorado and Lake. Okay, yeah, well, that's not too far. I lived closer to Villa Park. And, sure. Um, yeah, El Molino. And, yeah, of course. Yeah, I remember yeah, it. Quite well. All right. Um, and so, but I got fortunate. I mean, I wound up homeless living under a bridge in Colorado at 19 and about to become a dad. Wow. And uh, I would lose my daughter. I would lose everything. And, um, and I was lucky enough to find recovery at age 22. So 35 years ago, uh, began my recovery process. Okay. And in that, uh, relating to parenting, someone, you know, I, I got 
I'd lost my daughter. I wondered when I would ever find her. And uh, someone told me, you know what? We don't know if you'll ever get your daughter back. Right. But if she's ever put back in your life, you can be a father worth finding. Wow. And that was my journey. So many years ago, that's where I started this process of what it would look like to be a good father. My dad had died. I didn't know. And I was working on values and integrity and and that took me to counseling. I was an adolescent counselor for many years out in Burbank, California, and then um, San Fernando Valley. Then I became a school teacher. I went and taught high school, North Long Beach, Compton, right on the border there. Wow. And, uh, and then eventually I met an old Tibetan Lama, and I became a Buddhist monk. So I got to meet His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. And, wow. Um, I spent a little over six years as a Buddhist monk. So coming out of monastic life... Um, you know, I've had this unique background of having done everything from wash dishes at a truck stop uh, to being a single parent. I did find my daughter, and I did have that opportunity to raise her, and uh, to being a counselor and a school teacher and a Buddhist monk to an auto mechanic. Wow. And uh, that, uh, a unique opportunity to share some of the tools that have been given to me so freely over the years, so... We started the Mindful Life program, which is how do we utilize these wisdom traditions in real meaningful ways that single parents can utilize, um, people that um, can really put these things into their lives, mothers, parents, the stressors. We work with uh, hospitals and first right. responders and, right. you know, all that stress and tension that people carry. So that's been the journey. And I currently also have developed mindfulness and recovery, which is a growing treatment modality that's being utilized across the U.S. now. What a story. And, and I, <laughs> I love the happy ending of your daughter finding you again because you're, you're the kind of man worth finding. So Finally, that's yeah. wonderful. Um, so I want to I jump back to the, the Buddhist monk bit because uh, uh, you know, I teach a lot in Asia uh -huh. and uh, I run a martial arts school for you know, 23, 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, the the idea that now I'm being taught some mindfulness techniques from a Buddhist monk uh, settles into me that I'm going to have to find a quiet place in my house, burn some incense and stare at the wall uh, for a good couple hours so that I can deal with these kids who are screaming in the other room right now. Right. And, and obviously those are, that's a, that's a, a dumb example, but an example that my brain goes to nonetheless, that mm -hmm. mindfulness and quietude and serenity and peace are lifelong journeys. And that right now I have a kid I'm trying to keep alive. Yeah. So, so let's, let's take that misconception and talk now about what is mindfulness? Because it's a term that's thrown around in the industry a lot. Yeah. Every facility likes to say, and we practice mindfulness techniques and no one knows what that really means. Mm -hmm. So let's talk to a Buddhist monk, uh, a man who is, who is, is living the, living the walk. What is mindfulness? What is this? Yeah, so great question. And there is no agreed upon definition. There's no agreed upon definition. Great, even show's over. No, I'm Buddhist <laughs> uh, perspectives. And, Not um, even the Buddhists can agree what it yeah. is. Yeah, and but I have a way of uh, thinking about how we can describe degrees of mindfulness. Because right. a lot of people say mindfulness is present moment awareness, sure. non-judgmentally, and you know these things like yes. that, capturing a, a, a part of it. So I like to talk about it in degrees. There's degrees of mindfulness. One is being aware of what I'm doing. 
Yeah, that's foundational. Uh, we find that latest research shows that people are not aware of what they're doing about half of the time they're awake. About half the time we're awake, we're on autopilot, we don't even know what we're doing. That's why we don't know where our car keys are. Right. Because we weren't there when we put them down. Right. So can I be more aware of what I'm doing? Now, a greater degree of mindfulness is can I be aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing? What's my motives? What's my impulses that are arising? So aware of what I'm doing, why I'm doing this. A greater degree of mindfulness, and this is you know, so helpful in parenting and in life is, is what I'm doing healthy, beneficial? Is it alignment with my values? So there's a discernment as to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is it healthy, beneficial? Will it really promote the life I want to live, the kind of parent I want to be? So that's a pretty high degree of mindfulness in a moment. The greatest degree, and this is where the game changer comes, is, is it based in reality? Because what we find is that the majority of mental and emotional stress that we have is related to something that is not even based in reality. Cognitive distortions is the label we put on it, but our mind's projecting about a fear and a worry and a concern, or it's triggered, my emotions are taking over, and it's not attuning to what's actually happening, which is, you know, generally what's actually happening in this moment is me reacting in a sense to my child or to some information and my mind labeling and projecting and stressing and the mind will say if this happens it'll all be okay and if this happens it'll be terrible that's why we have stress we're attached to an outcome right well here's a news flash <laughs> Outcomes are almost completely irrelevant to your sense of well-being in life. And that's just foundational science. Uh, There's a great researcher, uh, Dan Gilbert, who talks about the science of happiness. And if we look at it this way, and this is really helpful for parenting, because we get caught up in a moment. This is terrible. I've had a bad day. Not only are we caught up in the moment, but the moment is not... The trajectory of the moment is not towards the outcome that we desire or expect. Yeah. And our reaction is based on how we were or were not parented in our own past. Right. And so we are completely out of the moment and being, there's a tug of war of the future and the past taking place. Yeah. And, and that is unconsciousness. Yeah. Right. And we're hijacked. Yeah, right? completely. You know, we have this, this great example I try to give people is how many times have things gone exactly the way you would like? Let me count. Never. No, no, all the time. We can't even count how many times in your life you had wonderful events. How many times when you were a kid you had a great day, you had a good play partner, you had a good meal, you had a good vacation, we got an award. I mean, we can't even count how many wonderful events you've had in your life. Now, when I say never, it's because I'm still... I'm still trying to produce the result based on a trajectory I set out with, mm-hmm. right? When I'm saying that ne- things never went the way I expected them to go, the good things. And that's, a, that's because I feel like, again, the expectation that it was going to work out the way I wanted it to work out is based on my unconscious past. Yeah, and so, but I'm, I'm taking you a different perspective go, here. Now okay, I'm getting so it. Now all I'm getting of us... It have had wonderful moments, right? Without a doubt. Okay, I've got to swimming pool when I was a kid. I have have nice vacations. I've had incredible moments. John, I was cast in a movie yesterday, Uh speaking part in a movie. It's wonderful. Right, great moments. Wonderful We've had more than we can count. So if I've had all those wonderful moments that 
why does my mind tell me, but if this next one happens, then I'll be happy. And I'll be happy. Like, I can't be happy now, <coughs> but if this next thing happens, I'll be happy. Likewise, we've had a ton of terrible events, more than we can count, and I could be happy now. And my mind will say, if this happens, it'll be terrible. So if we step back, we'll start to realize that all these things that we project that you're talking about, yeah. if this happens or that happens, then I'll be happy. Or if this happens and happens, it'll all be terrible. They've all happened more times than we can count, and it doesn't last. What lasts, what actually lasts, is how we show up for those events. How do I show up for my child? How do I show up? Is it in alignment with my values? We don't get genuine happiness from doing things that make us feel good. We get genuine happiness from doing things we feel good about. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. You're talking about the if then. Yeah. Right. And that is that is such a cul-de-sac of life, you know, and I and I, I I work a lot with parents who are stuck in a space of if my child could only stop smoking pot, cutting themselves, being depressed, then the family could be happy. Then I could get back to my mission, vision, passion, purpose. Right. And, and this this setup for expectation is a setup for suffering. So how do I get out of this spin? I want to, because it is a spin. We, if they would just make a better choice, right? Then I would, I wouldn't have to miss work. Yep. And you know, reframing exactly what you said. You know, there's this. Anytime you use the word "if only," everything that comes after that doesn't exist anywhere but my mind. Like, if only this would happen, then everything would be okay. Right. So my mind makes up a story about something that hasn't happened, and then it makes up a story about how it'd be okay or how it would be terrible. So if I say, if only my kid would have done this, you know, then my life or his life or her life would have been like this, that only exists in my mind. That reality does not exist anywhere. And you're, you're talking about the deepest level of the mindfulness work is the what is, recognizing that, you know, 
reality. There, yeah. there, there's one reality, and it's this moment, and yeah. only this moment, because this moment is the only thing that actually is. But that's still a pretty far cry for a parent whose child is suicidal. Mm-hmm. And so coming back to how does that make something practical, there is logical projection that we can, you know, have some reasonable expectations about. What are, let's, let's talk about reasonable expectations. So, yeah, so reasonable expectations. Um, you know, for me, with parenting, for example, I did find my daughter. I did get to raise her since she was eight and a half, and, you know, and, and I learned how to be a single dad. Uh, and the reasonable expectation is that if I can demonstrate that my daughter has value and that I love her, um, she's going to feel loved. And the reasonable expectation that I have is that most of the struggles that humans have fundamentally come from not feeling good enough, fundamentally come from not feeling their worthiness and value. And so coming back to happiness and well-being, where does that come from? Well, it doesn't come from the house, the car, the relationship, or the degree. Believe it or not, you can have a house, job, car, relationship, degree, and still have stress, worry, fear, anxiety, and suicide. What it does come from is living in alignment with your values, having a sense of worthiness and value. So if I start paying attention to reality, I'm going to know the source of well-being and happiness in my life comes from how I interact with my child. It's going to, the support that I give them in recognizing their value and attending to them. What's one of the greatest gifts we can give anyone is our attention. Our attention, yeah. And so attending to our children is one of the greatest gifts that let them know they have value and meaning. Having meals together at dinner time. That has been one of the single most determinant factors about well-being of any, any childhood trajectory is do we sit together at a dinner table regularly and have meals and attend to each other? To this day, it still remains the number one deterrent from risky behavior in children, yeah. family dinner. It's proven over and over by every major university, it is, and it's free. Yeah. And, and it is just, lit- this means no phones. This is literally just about presence. Yeah. Attention. Attention. Attend to. Attention. Mindful is making that time to be present with my child, to be present with my own understanding, fears, and anxieties, and to learn that the feelings are temporary. What lasts is the interaction. How do we be in this moment having the feelings of stress <clears throat> where... We're driving in the car with our kid to school. Their head is buried down in the, in the cell phone. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and we desire nothing more than just being with the child. Does it have to be conversation? Does the child have to put the phone down? Do I have to pull over? Because this may be my only moment in the day that I am with my child on the way to school. What is attention? Yeah, so how do we attend, you know, create an environment where uh, putting down the phone is not punishment. It's actually, you know, time to set that down and time for us to interact. We do desire that attention. And so this is also no quick fix. So that's the deal, right? Everybody wants the quick fix. Yeah, yeah, this is a long game strategy. And so number one is the idea that I need to be able to develop the ability to feel feelings and not be caught up in them. 
to feel stress and not be caught up in them. So right. that's where meditation can be helpful. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, the two hours. And nine <laughs> uh, it can be seated in a chair. It could be before I, w- I start my day. For example, what people don't realize is that if I'm just present in the moment and responding to life, that's a defensive position. What Say if, that again. That's a defensive position because I'm responding to what happens. I'm always defensive. Yeah, because I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm not a, proactive. Right, right. I'm not proactive. So, for example, when I wake up in the morning, I make time to meditate so I can develop my attention. And it's just a concentration meditation. I don't empty my mind. I don't do that. I focus on um, the breath so I can attend to it and I can develop the ability to choose what I attend to. And we know since the beginning of of time itself that focusing on the breath listening to your beginning with listening to yourself breathing thinking about softening the space between the in and out that if nothing else you have activated your prefrontal cortex you're you're in your frontal lobes you are not in survival you are you are full tilt in your human brain it is the like the base layer benefit of focusing on your breathing and if you do this consistently daily, even 10 minutes a day, I mean, I started 10 minutes a day many years ago. I mean, I do more now. But if I do this regularly, what I'm developing is the ability to choose what I attend to. So I'm not a prisoner of every thought, worry, fear thing that comes through my mind. I can choose what I attend to. I'm developing attention. And then after meditating, attending to, well, how about I think about what I would like to attend to today? What are the thoughts I would like to nurture? So one of the things I like to do in the morning is I like to think about my wife's good qualities. I like to bring to mind why I married her, what her good qualities are, and actively think about that. This is all before I see her in the morning. Right. And then when I see my wife, I'm in a, I've already saturated the thoughts and the, the cultivated the attitudes that I have appreciation. So we can do this with children, too. This, What's the kind of parent I would like to be? And I think about that before I see my child. I want to be a little more patient or, you know. And, and by the way, number one thing, patience. If there's anything that overcomes all of this, developing patience. And patience is a skill to be developed. Can we be honest about... You know, we talk about no quick fix. And yeah. I said, this is the long game. When I, so a parent listening, they say, great, I'm going to do that. They get up in the morning before coffee, before anything. It's, it's just 10 minutes. They're setting intentions about what kind of parent they are going to be based on their value system. They go to wake their kid up. They open the door. The bed's empty. The kid snuck out last night. Yeah. Let's be honest. That emotion is going to come rushing in. Yep. That that feelings of, of anger, fear, frustration, stress, anxiety yep. is all going to come crashing back. You, we're talking about a practice, and we're going to fail many, many, many times. We're going to lose the practice very quickly at the beginning. Except for everything you said is not a failure. Somebody, kid, not, not in your room, there is a righteous reason to be fearful and to have those feelings, and that's healthy yes the ability to feel those feelings and then get into solution quickly in other words the big uh thing that we want to eliminate is resistance to reality this is the reality my kid's gone there is worry yes i am worried this is illegitimate yes what do we do and how do i calmly now get into solution and how do i attend to that rather than the mind stream of how this shouldn't have happened and oh, what was me and just all the things about that which can paralyze you. 
what do we do now? What's the next healthy thing that we can do? We forget that we can feel fear and take action. Yeah. We forget that we can feel stress and anxiety and move forward. We become paralyzed. Yeah. And, and again, this is this tug of war of the past and the future rather than the reality of the moment. Yeah. And with mindfulness, you get the ability to experience feelings instead of have feelings, which is a very different thing than I am experiencing anxiety. I'm anxious. I am anxious versus I'm experiencing some anxiety. And that's an awareness that that will come and go, and it's not who I am. And it is very much strength-based language, too. It's, it's You start to recognize the I am versus the I have. Yeah. You know, my, my child is ADHD. Your child is working with ADHD. Your yeah. child is dealing with ADHD. Your child is battling ADHD. However you make that term, that it doesn't become the identifier, but it maybe it becomes the dragon and the child becomes the warrior and you become the king and the queen. What, however you play this forward, yeah. it's, it's not an am, it's a have. Yeah, and nothing is frozen in time. Yeah. We're not, I mean, all the science, neuroscience, the... You know, the fact that we are becoming in every moment. We are becoming something new in every moment. I'm not stuck by my past, and I can develop my attention. I can transform a lot of uh, my abilities. I can become more skillful in many ways. This is just science. It's so evidence-based now, including my DNA, my genetics. With epigenetics, they realize that I'm not even a prisoner of my genetics. They can be dialed up or down. Their gene expression can change based upon how I live my life and the environments I put myself in. We have so much opportunity to transform and we can do it consciously. The bad news is if I don't do it consciously, <laughs> my, I'm, I'm a prisoner of all the habits and the thoughts and the worries and the fear. Right now in our country, we feel like victims. No matter, no matter who's in charge or which side of this great divide that we've been placed on we feel victimized by the other side and the 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 interesting reality is that no one thinks they're the bad guy everybody thinks they're the victim and i love what you say but you're right there's a path of consciousness with it and consciousness is mindfulness yeah and so that's the piece of mindfulness that gets left out and that's what i was alluding to is taking some time each day to remember you're about to embark upon a day that will never come again in your life I don't know how many days I have. Right. You know, I, I want to make some time to prepare myself. I want to meditate a little bit, and I want to set an intention for what I would like to develop today, whether it's be a little more patient or a little more kind or whatever that is for me and my values. And I think everyone should be able to take some time and ask themselves how they want to participate in a day that will never come again in their life. What's more important than ask yourself what's important? John, how can, uh, how can people find you? I, I know parents are going to want to reach out now. Yeah, so the mindfullifeprogram.org, mindfullifeprogram.org. We actually do have a Mindful Life community that anyone can join, and you can get daily resources, activities that you can do every single day. Uh, there's even an online mindfulness program that you can reach out to. My wife even does some mindful parenting as well with programs. So I, I, I almost hesitate to ask a former Buddhist monk if he's on Facebook. Can they find you on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, <laughs> Facebook, John Bruna, but Chopel, that's my monk name. So John Chopel Bruna, uh, yeah, Facebook. I have a TED Talk called The Skill of Free Will, Wonderful. Uh, which might be a nice exploration. Tells a bit of me finding my daughter in the journey. The Skill of Free Will, the TED Talk, John Bruna, mindlifeprogram.org. 
Mindlifeprogram.org. Mindful Life. Mindful Life. Oh, it's right here. Mindfullifeprogram.org. Mindfullifeprogram.org. Check out his TED Talk, John Bruna. Thanks for taking this morning time to help us all get our intentions back on our values. A real honor and a joy to be with you. Thanks so much. We'll, we'll talk again soon. All right. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.